Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for doing. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, if you're in the consumer product space and you've ever thought about your product packaging, yeah, I mean, like, how could you not? That is the focus for our conversation today. I can't even wait to introduce you to my guest. Fred Hart is on with Interact, and we're going to talk all about that. What works, what doesn't, what you should be thinking about. And I mean, it's so key, and so many entrepreneurs um, don't think about that up front. They're just trying to get something out the door. So, Fred, it is so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Justin and Mom, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. Um, <laughs> hopefully, she does listen. I guess under the link, um, dude. Oh, she will. <laughs> that's so great. It's so fun having you here. Um, and you know, it's interesting. I was sharing with you some stats and facts about our podcast beforehand, and I've never had anybody on to talk about product packaging in, in four or five years of doing this. So I was really excited when I saw your info, and I'm like, this is such a great topic and so relevant. So anyway, um, before we get to what you're doing for consumer goods companies today and entrepreneurs. Just share a little bit about your background. How'd you get into the whole design space? Yeah. So um, my background has always been as a designer. So grew up uh, being really interested in art, creativity, uh, big basketball fan. So sneakers and uh, the shoes that different players were wearing were actually how I got interested in design. I wanted to design Kevin Garnett's you know, signature shoe, Allen Iverson's shoe, all these guys. And uh, that eventually led me down the path to graphic design. And then I started to uh, work in branding in the Bay Area in San Francisco uh, for a lot of entrepreneurial clients. The first agency I ever worked at, cut my teeth at, uh, was the studio that created Monster Energy Drink. Oh, and that was a pretty big learning curve. So that cool. was really interesting. You know, billion dollar brand, everyone totally. knows it. And uh, from there, my career has just progressed in really focusing on how to help brands in the CPG space uh, win in a very competitive marketplace. What I love about what I do is it's the only form of competitive design out there. You can build a website, a book, a billboard, um, you know, any of that stuff. But with CPG products and you walk into a grocery store, Coke still has to sit right next to Pepsi. And if you're an <laughs> entrepreneur, your product is going right next to the big boys. But design can <laughs> have right. play a role in helping you win. Dude, that's so cool. It's so true. Um, yeah, I love that and love just your background in this space. I saw you also do some work for FMI, which is a one of the largest industry organizations yes, yes. out there. It's very, very cool. Yeah. In fact, I'll be there next week or two weeks. They have their mm. big event each year. But um, okay, so um let's let's dive in. So you you got into I'll say brand and product and, and CPG with uh, Monster. So I, how did that, what did you learn from that? And like, what, what came about from it? A lot of things I learned. Um, what was interesting is Hanson Soda, which some listeners may know, natural uh, soda brands, actually gave birth to Monster. So Hanson's had an energy drink right. called Blue Sky uh, energy drink that came out, but it was just early days, uh, the organic and natural industry isn't what it is today. And, um, you know, you had the energy drink category created by Red Bull, essentially. And then everyone wanted in on a piece of the pie. Anheuser-Busch had a beverage called 360. Pepsi had Amp. Yep. Coke had full throttle. Full throttle. Most of these aren't even around. They, I know. They don't even They exist, came and right? went. And Vault. I worked at Coke at the time. I oh, mean, like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, it was, they, Those yep. came and went. Yep. And then the little and so energy we'll, shots, right? 
oh yeah, that you got five hour energy and that's a whole sort of like separate subcategory that, that in its own right has, you know, a, a couple of billion dollar brands there too. So what was fascinating is the agency that I was working at in uh, the Bay Area worked with Hanson Soda. And it had been maybe five to 10 years since Red Bull had entered the US from Europe. And they said, hey, we want to take another crack at this. We think you guys have a real shot, but we can't bill it as a natural product. And we need to create an entirely new brand around it. And most importantly, we got to find an audience that isn't being spoken to. Ooh, so interesting. Monster you know, played a huge role in sort of tapping into this sort of undercurrent of extreme sports and BMXing and you know, snowboarders right. and, That's where they made and really the bringing athletes, yeah, along the way, where Red Bull today is now seen more for the office worker, you know, the nine to five, the professional, it doesn't have that sort of like raw energy to it. And they said, that's who our brand is going to be built for. So I learned that identifying an audience is really important, understanding your own positioning so that design can emulate all of those really critical and important things. And then most importantly, like packaging. Uh, is really what I like to call a brand in hand. It's a place for you to have a tactile experience with a brand, but the brand also exists in the world. Uh, logo on a you know a BMX biker's hat, uh, all of the clothing, you know the website, the social media, all of these things exist and surround it. But it always starts and comes back to a product because if you don't sell a product, you don't have anything else to do. Totally. So I fell in love with packaging as a result of uh, my my time with the agency that created Monster. I love that. Now, when you think about packaging, there's kind of the design element and then there's the actual materials that go Structural, into it. Structural, right. yep, yep. So talk Substrates. about the different elements of it that most people don't think about when they see a product on the shelf. Yeah, 100%. So you know, packaging's primary role is to protect the product. Um, that's first and foremost. But... Uh, it's a competitive advantage depending on how you look at it. There are a lot of entrepreneurs in this space that look at the structure of packaging uh, as a brand equity. Now, it takes a lot of investment uh, and a lot of capital to have a you know custom structure right off the bat versus using something stock. But everyone knows probably at this point the Method uh, Soap Company. Uh, they have that beautiful teardrop, teardrop bottle that lives totally. in our homes that we're proud to have out on our counters, which really changed things. Um, that same founder has gone on to start Ollie, the vitamin company that's in Target, Welly, a bandage company that comes in these really cool tins. Uh, if we think about the nut milk space, Calafia has this beautiful like carafe bottle. Um, you know, if we think about the water space, think about how disruptive Voss is with that totally. perfectly cylindrical bottle yeah. where everything else is sort of like shades of one another. Um, and so structure used properly can be a huge brand building asset, not just something that holds your products. Oh, so really cool. And then how do you, like, where do you get involved in the process with a, a brand now? Like in your current role, do they come to you and have product already? Or are they early stage? Like I'm thinking about our listeners and you, as I was sharing with you before yeah. we record, you know, we have people all different phases of product lifecycle. Yep. So, uh, I'll share a little bit about the agency uh, that I own with my business partner. So. It's called Interact. Our website's interactbrands.com. We've got about 20 people on staff, offices in Boulder, Colorado, and Austin, Texas. And we built the agency really working alongside natural and organic entrepreneurs, um, vision-led brands, um, you know, sort of pioneers of the space. We've then parlayed that into working with big food. Um, for instance, we just rebranded Hot Pockets for Nestle. So it's a pretty oh, big very one. Cool. Very cool. Um, so we've seen both ends of the spectrum. And what we tell a lot of the entrepreneurial clients that we work with is don't even waste your time coming to us if your product isn't great. Because 
building building a great brand and having great packaging design is actually one of the fastest ways to kill a company if the product isn't any good. That's no good. You will you will incite trial but no repeat purchase. Um, and so you know when you're thinking about bootstrapping and where to spend your money um, and how to just like you know uh, how you have to be really valuable with the resources that you do have. It needs to go into the product first. Um, it has to start with the product. Only once that is really, really good, then should you think about the brand on top of it. Wow. And then, that's, so that's something we tell people. assuming they, the product is good, like how do you yep. think? Because what you see with a lot of entrepreneurs is they have to use standard packaging just to get into, just to get in market, right? Um, if they have a new yep, beverage yep. brand or a new food brand, yep. you know what I mean? Because it's expensive, it's hard. I don't know what what do you what's your coaching for them as you're thinking about I got a decent food or decent beverage but need to think about differentiated yep. packaging. So this is where design really comes into play and this is my favorite part. So if you can afford a differentiated structure um, and you've got to go into the same thing as everyone else, then design becomes the element that can help you stand apart. So I mean think about the energy drink category. You're talking about an aluminum can that hasn't changed in right. how many decades, right? right? everyone still goes into that format. So if that's off the table, then you have three other elements that can help distinguish you. We tell our clients to sort of like color. So owning a brand color can be really important. You know, if I just flashed a can onto the screen and I told you it was red, everyone would know that I'm talking about Coca-Cola. Right. Then there is uh, image. So a picture's worth a thousand words. And this is where we really think about like brand marks, brand logos sure. being super important. We talked about Monster earlier. They have a very iconic sort of M slash mark. Um, if you think about Coca-Cola, they have the script. If you think about Pepsi, they have the little circle. Um, <laughs> and Love so what it. we really do is one of our key mantras is people don't read, they recognize. It's why we lean on having pictorial elements that really anchor everything. Anyone can sort of put or bombard a pack with lots of copy lots of claims and have what we call the NASCAR effect. Right. Of course. Just like over overburdening anything and and it it holds no no visual stimulus um, for people to recall. Now how do you think about an established brand like you mentioned doing some work for Nestle versus mm -hmm. I think you mentioned Nestle versus a new brand that's you know entering the market. Um, like, do you think of them differently in terms of strategy or do you have kind of a a faster uh, like I'm sure the 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 innovation process with a Nestle might take longer for all the approvals and whatnot versus a startup. <laughs> so how does, how does that play out? Yeah. Well, you've definitely been a part of big food yourself. You know, uh, you know that all too well. Yes. Um, you know, credit to Nestle, what they have that's really uh, wonderful is they have an internal uh, center of design excellence. So they have an internal group um, that helps shepherd a lot of those conversations and get by and, you know, top to top to bottom within the org chart. The difference is really, though, is that with a brand like Hot Pockets or any brand that's been around and has found product market fit and success, is there are equities at play uh, that need to be kept around. So, for instance, when we when we touch Hot Pockets, there's no way in hell that we're going to take red off the table, right? right. We're not going to like, hey, we got an idea. We, we think you should be a blue brand. Right. Like, nope. Right. People recognize red. Um, people recognize the product format. It's very distinctive. People recognize, for instance, the general holding shape of the logo. But if you were to look at the before and after, you'll see uh, an entirely new typographic uh, mark, a different word mark. Uh, you'll see all sorts of new uh, communication systems brought in, uh, all types of new typefaces for copy. 
Um, you'll see new iconography and illustration styles on the back. But really, at the end of the day, if there's strong recognition there, we're going to utilize it. One of our other mantras is challenge the category, right? not the consumer. And, now, what, I bring, and what do you I mean by that? that? Yeah. yeah, so it's easy to be different for different sake. So let's talk about craft beer for a second. I could probably get a brand to stand out in a craft beer aisle if I made all of its labels magenta. If I said our brand color is going to be magenta. <laughs> but at the same time, strategically, I may alienate the uh, male portion of my audience because they're not going to resonate with magenta or sure. they're going to look at that and think it's a, you know, a feminine brand or, or something to that degree. So that's what it means. Like when we want to challenge the category, we want to think about what are different ways that we can stand out based on category tropes or category conventions. And then how do we make sure that we're not just being different for different sake, but it, there's still something there that a consumer can sort of see, identify with, um, and ultimately be comfortable with. Um, so I bring this all up because you asked, what's the difference between a hot box and a brand from scratch? Right. Well, hot pockets at a business at scale is less likely to take risk. Right. And any entrepreneurs that we work with, we say, <laughs> they're one willing of your to biggest try. Competitive, yeah. 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 <laughs> one of your biggest advantages uh, as an opportunity is to, is to take risks. So, you know, if our listeners are, are familiar, Liquid Death, a water company, is one of the most disruptive companies out there right now. And first of all, it's a wild name, Liquid Death. Their tagline is murder your thirst. They want, they, they want to give, they want to kill plastic. It's water and aluminum cans. Um, and they have this sort of heavy metal look and feel. If that were inside of the, you know, there's no way Coca-Cola or Pepsi are ever launching a brand like that. It's just too risky for them. (laughs) Sure. But here they are challenging the category, doing something aesthetically that totally disrupts anything that you've ever seen whether it's Dasani, Fiji water, you know, all these idyllic sort of water brands, always blue, always, you know, um, (laughs) soft spoken. And here they are coming in as the aggressor. Um, But simultaneously, it's not just sort of like, it's not challenging consumers. It's actually drawing consumers in. They're now speaking to people that, um, you know, it's not about like, oh, do I listen to heavy metal or do I have tattoos or do I own a motorcycle? For instance, I don't have, I don't do either uh, of those three things, but, um, but it expresses a rule breaker mentality. It talks about like the, an appreciation for reverence. Um, it speaks to nonconformists and that's a mindset that no one in the water category ever sort of speaks to or Totally. And that's what I mean by like, they're purposely challenging the category and they're drawing in the consumer, not alienating the consumer group. Man, I love that. Um, yeah, and I see a lot of uh, new brands, especially in food and beverage, where they have to use standard packaging, but then they're looking for elements of the packaging to translate over to their e-commerce site or to other marketing and media, whether it be TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. How do you yep, think yep. about that in terms of the, the brand and kind of packaging design and its ability to translate over into e-commerce, for example? Yeah, so we actually help a lot of um, e-commerce D2C brands uh, right size or sort of uh, correct their design when they need to show up in retail. So as a company interacts, sort of specializes in omni-channel brands. Because sure. what you do in uh, online usually doesn't have to compete with much else. You're sort of relying on SEO, your URL, all the That's information right. is, is, is on a page and, and your pack doesn't necessarily have to do all of that. Plus, it's so easy to launch a product and sort of find a fit without needing to invest in the brand. 
But the second that you get into retail and all successful D2C brands eventually end up in retail, you now have to sit next to all of your competitors. Right. And now if you haven't invested properly in your underall positioning, strategy, design elements, et cetera, yep. um, then you know your velocity is going to be slower. You're going to be um, outsold by your competitors. Uh, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to steal market share like you want to. And so that's where we, we help a lot of companies. Your, your bigger question though, is like, well, you know, what, what you do create, how does that extend to all of the other touch points? This is what we call a brand identity system. So it's understanding like, okay, for instance, for Coca-Cola, red is going to be a through line in everything that we do. So let's make sure that we always apply red and the more consistent they are, um, and by the way, you know, just red is one constraint. Actually, there's a lot of other flexible variables that can work. So we try to set our clients up with like, all right, is there a piece of typeface that we should always use in all communications? Think about Nike's just do it. Like, you, you know, that font, sure. um, sometimes it's color. Sometimes it's uh, an illustration style. That's very, very distinctive, whatever it is, um, uh, that we decide are the rules. We make sure that our clients understand that and then give them the freedom along the way to figure out how to adjust things. Because what you show up and do on TikTok versus Instagram versus LinkedIn are right. you know, three very different audiences and three very different channels. No doubt. So uh, as a brand coming to you to work with you, and what's your coaching to them in terms of how to approach um, new product design, new packaging design? Like, What, what are the, the couple things that they need to be thinking about as they're coming and sitting down with you and your team? Yep. Well, they need to think about why they're doing what they're doing. At the end of the day, we're visual storytellers. So I need to understand like, cool, you created a gluten-free cracker. Why'd you <laughs> right, do that? Right. What's, what's the story? What, what's the story there? What do you eventually want to be doing with this brand? Um, because we're going to amplify whatever sort of like nugget of inspiration is there. Um, the, you know, the other thing too is like, are we... It, going to launch something into a category that currently exists and has a lot of pre pre-withstanding uh, education or are we going to be disruptive? So for instance, like water, everyone knows what water is. So that means you don't need to spend much time educating. Educating, it right. It's yep. not like back but, when energy drinks were launched. You had to educate on what it was and why it was important, right? Or, or think about kombucha. Like kombucha ah, is a relatively a new one. category. Yep. And it's like, okay, why do I drink kombucha? Well, there's probiotics in it. Oh, where do the probiotics come from? Oh, it's kind of fermentation. <laughs> and so if, uh, if an entrepreneur is sort of coming up with something novel or as part of an emerging category, we really think about how we need to be a little bit more education first with brand maybe being in a slight secondary element versus if you're coming into something that everyone knows, like I'm going to do pasta, but I'm going to make it out of chickpeas. Like that's still a simple proposition that most people can comprehend. Right. And, and it still looks case, like pasta. It's just made with something different. Looks like pasta, tastes like pasta. <laughs> right. It's just got a different base ingredient. That's an easy, easier story to tell. And if, uh, if the product story is easy to tell, then we can focus more on the, the romance and, and the brand story instead. That's so cool. Um, dude, this is so awesome. Um, one of the things that we had talked about before was how do you make a brand um, stick out on the shelf in a crowded category? And the example yeah. that um, your team sent over was Boom Chicka Pop. So talk about that one. I mean, I see that out there and I go, yeah, they definitely are unique. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we've done this for a couple of our, our clients as well. But like, if you think about that category, most competitors show popcorn. 
<laughs> right. what, consumer in, what consumer does not know what popcorn looks like? Right. You know, it's it's almost like being told to put on your seatbelt on a plane, like right. giving the instructions. It's like, hey, I got it. It's cool. <laughs> so, so if everyone is wasting precious real estate showing, showing you a photo popcorn. of popcorn when you know it's popcorn because it says popcorn, you walked up to that part of the aisle, you're surrounded by other popcorn brands. How can we take that context? Uh, <laughs> into consideration and design something more disruptive. So what I love about Boom Chicka Pop is they, one, had a very uh, interesting name, you know, very right. sort of like personality driven. Yep. Two, they utilized a very distinctive color palette. They have sort of like softer colors, feminine colors, um, things that you wouldn't necessarily expect that help them stand out at shelf in a sea of like maybe oversaturated colors or white, right. things of that nature. And then, um, you know, they forego product imagery for big typography. Um, and that's just a visual language that's totally distinctive in that, that marketplace. We did the same thing for, for a brand called uh, Boulder Canyon Chips. Oh, yeah. Where we, when we did our category analysis and we talked to them before we started concepting, we said, look, everyone in this category is focused on a quantity over quality story. Everyone is showing lots of chips, bowls of chips, stacks of chips. <laughs> right. We're going to no, be no. crazy and we're only going to put three chips on the front of our pack. <laughs> and we're and we're going to angle them to look like the flat irons <laughs> of Boulder, Colorado. Right. And it is going to be so markedly different and it's going to be put such a focus on the quality of our product rather than the quantity of our product oh. that it's going to turn into a competitive advantage and what ended up happening was they saw like a $13 million increase in annualized sales just from the packaging design wow. alone. Amazing. Yeah. Um, this is so fascinating and you are such the expert in this, man. This is so <laughs> cool. Um, listen, I would love for you to share, uh, you know, you've, you've built your own company. So put your entrepreneur hat on for a moment. Yep. You yep. Know, why don't you share two or three of your lessons learned you know, to get out of the packaging world for a moment, like what are your, yeah. what are your entrepreneurial lessons learned from, from launching a business and growing it? What are the keys to success? Well, we've got 20 people on staff today. And when my business night partner and I started, uh, we had about three people. So <laughs> wow. I've learned a lot along the way that, you know, when it comes down to hiring people, talent certainly matters, but attitude is the most important. Um, if you've got someone that, you know, is willing to do the small things that there's no task that's above them. That's uh, willing to pitch in wherever needed. Um, you know, that doesn't complain or constantly worry about getting there. It's like, you've, you've got a great person um, and they're worth investing in. So the human capital side of all businesses is really critical. Um, I'd say the other thing that we've learned is you never know who's listening, looking, or, or reading things that you're doing. I mean, you know, who knows who's listening to this podcast right now. We've had so many clients um, that have seen work that we've done or that we met at a trade show once five years ago and remembered some interaction because we gave them the time of day where, you know, we sat down and we're, um, you were intentional, you know, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Just all that stuff. So I think those sorts of things are, are really critical to remember um, that you're always making an impression. And um you know, I, I don't so know. True. The third thing is just to uh, not lose sight of who you are. Sometimes, as entrepreneurs, we can get so wrapped up in our businesses that uh, our identity is is the thing. Right. You know, and like, right. uh, I cannot be interact. Um, <laughs> if I am, then I will have no life. And 
you know, I'll just measure my success only by the business and life's a lot richer than that. So good. So good. I love it. Um, man, you uh, great advice on product packaging and on growing a brand. (laughs) You got to come back on. We'd love to have you back on down the road. Um, share more stories of other brands. Um, but for right now, share with our audience where they can find you, connect with you, um, engage with you guys, et cetera. Yeah. So interactbrands.com is our website. You'll be able to see a lot of the, uh, clients that we're privileged to work with. Um, interact brands on Instagram is another place to follow us on social. Um, Fred Hart on LinkedIn is where you can follow me personally. And I say, other than that, keep your life simple. You don't need to follow me on TikTok and all sorts of crazy <laughs> stuff. That's awesome. Dude, Fred, thanks so much for being here today. We got to have you back on, like I said, down the road. And uh, you, I love the advice. I think any of our listeners are going to be like, hmm, I need to rethink some of my packaging strategy. So you, I have a feeling you might hear from a few folks. The pleasure was all mine. You're great at asking questions. And I think that's another valuable skill set that most people should learn. So thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.